This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome. It's a Friday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. It's our football Friday, as uh, we have every week. Dan Zampano will be coming up here in a few minutes to talk about uh, all the news around the NFL, some coaching hires, as well as this week's games, last week's games. Uh, so Dan will be coming up. We had to tape the interview yesterday. Dan was not available to come on live this morning, so uh, it will be taped. Um, but uh, we'll have him coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, I watched the UConn women's game last night, an impressive game. Look, you know, this is a rivalry that's gone back uh, almost 30 years now, and uh, UConn since they renewed the rivalry, they, they didn't play for uh, several years. Uh, Gino and, and Pat Summit had a bit of a feud going on, so they, they stopped that. Now with Pat Summit having passed away, they, they resumed it. UConn has won all four games since the rivalries continued. Uh, last night, UConn wins the game 84-67. Wasn't necessarily as indicative of the, uh, of the final, uh, of the way the game went. I mean, it was weird. It was a uh, UConn ran out to a huge first quarter lead. I think it was 33-17. Looked like they were just going to run away and hide. Uh, but then UConn failed to score for about the last four minutes of the second quarter. UConn only had seven points in the second quarter. So it was a close game at the half. Um, but then the third quarter and the fourth quarter, UConn just took over. Uh, the only thing that kept Tennessee in it is they really hit the offensive glass last night. 23 offensive rebounds in the game last night. They dominated the boards. That really hurt UConn. But outside of that, uh, it was just uh, – it was an ass-kicking. It really was. Um, and, and what a find. Uh, Lou, Lou Lopez-Seneschal, no, nobody really knew what to expect from her. She was the MAC player of the year out of Fairfield University and came to UConn as a grad transfer. You know, and when you're playing in the MAC in women's basketball, uh, that is not exactly the pinnacle of women's basketball. She's a hell of a player, but, you know, when you're playing against the MAC, you don't really know what to expect. Well, she has been – a find and a half for UConn. It is unbelievable. With Paige Beckers out and Ice Brady out and uh, Azzy Fudd being out, um, she'd been ridiculous. Played 37 minutes last night. She was 11 for 16 from the field last night, four of six from three-point range. And it was at one point uh, during the timeout, the Tennessee coaching staff basically said, hey, she doesn't get any more. We got to stop her. And what happens the next next two times down the floor? She ends up hitting shots. I mean, she just uh, unbelievable. Twenty six points last night and could not miss. So uh, that was a heck of a game for uh, for UConn last night, and a game they uh, they needed to have. You know, they uh, they they were facing an unranked team. They could not afford to stumble in that game last night. Um, they're hoping that Fudd is close to coming back. You know, they think they think Fudd is close. 
Caroline Ducharme still hasn't been able to play because of the uh, the concussion, but uh, UConn, with the win last night, uh, continues their role. Uh, they are now 19-2. and two. Tennessee falls to 16-7. and seven. By the way, it's the first time um, that those two teams have played in this long rivalry between them. It's the first time they've played that one of them hasn't been ranked. So uh, kind of an unusual game. But, again, Tennessee was game. Genie Oriema was apoplectic. At halftime, Holly Rowe from ESPN interviewed him about, hey, you know, they're they're getting to the free throw line more. They're doing this. They're doing that. What do you do? And Gino basically looked at us and said, what do I do? There's nothing I could do. He said, the officials changed the way they're calling the game. He said, we didn't change. They changed. I've never seen him that angry. He was livid. Livid. So, uh, anyway, but a good win for UConn, one that they, they certainly needed to have last night just to keep things rolling. Um, they host Villanova on Sunday in a Big East game. They are 11 and 0 in the Big East. I, you know, they're going to run through the Big East. You know, that's the thing. Injuries aside, what the UConn women have continued to do is ridiculous. Now, can they hang with Ohio State? Can they hang with South Carolina? Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, that's if they get Ducharme back, if they get Fudd back, you know, in time for the NCAA tournament, you know, they could be dangerous. Now, obviously, if they had Paige Beckers, you know. It'd be a completely different story, but they don't. But getting Fudd back is going to be huge, and getting Ducharme back, who hasn't played since December uh, because she's in concussion protocol. That must have been a hell of a concussion. And obviously safety comes first. You know, it's not like football, and you know, we worry about concussions in football. It happens in every sport. So uh, hopefully she's going to be okay. Um, other college basketball news. Billy Packer passed away last night. Billy Packer, uh, one of the great color analysts in the history of college basketball. Billy Packer was the analyst when uh, college basketball was really exploding. You know, now when you think of it, you know, uh, you know, to me, my favorite analyst right now in basketball, uh, college basketball, is I love listening to uh, Bill Raftery. He's the greatest. Um, and uh, there's some other good ones too, but I, Bill Raftery's my favorite. But Billy Packer was the guy. He and Al McGuire were the kind of the two um, color guys, along with Dick Enberg, on NBC. NBC originally was the, was the uh, network that had the rights to the NCAA tournament, and they were the broadcast team for the most watched college basketball game ever. And it still is. This amazes me. I was shocked when I read this. I was at college at Franklin Pierce up in New Hampshire when Indiana State and Michigan State played in the title game, Larry Bird against Magic Johnson. I remember watching. I think we, I think we all went. We were all in the Manor, I think, uh, uh, which was kind of our student center at the time before they built this uh, beautiful student center they have now. We were all in the Manor, I think, watching that game. And uh, uh, great game. But to this day, that is the highest-rated basketball game in history, a 24.1 Nielsen rating and estimated 35.1 million viewers. Now, I'm just surprised that something else hasn't, you know, for college basketball hasn't beaten that in the meantime. But, but Billy Packer and, and Al McGuire were the, uh, were the color guys on that, and Dick Enberg was the play-by-play guy, and now all three of them are gone. All three of them have passed away with Billy Packer's passing in Charlotte, North Carolina, yesterday at the age of 82 um, uh, Billy Packer actually played college basketball. He played at Wake Forest. Uh, in addition to his uh, his broadcasting, he was a hell of a, a businessman too. He's a, a real estate investor. He owned his own vape company. How about that? Getting with the times, owning a vape company. 
Uh, he had several other business ventures. Uh, um, his son, Mark, is still involved in college basketball. He is a, uh, um, a host on a couple of uh, ACC shows. Uh, but uh, Billy Packer passed away yesterday at the age of 82. I also watched, after the UConn game got over, I was able to watch the overtime of the Celtics and the Knicks. Celtics were down big with about four minutes to go, came back, tied it up, sent it into overtime, uh, but they end up losing at 120-117 to 117 in overtime. Julius Randle last night, 37 points, nine rebounds. But the big part of this game, uh, Jalen Brown, got fouled with 7.6 seconds left in the overtime. Celtics are down one, and he's going to the line. This is a guy that's like a 78% free throw shooter. He short-armed them both, missed them both. I mean, you know, now look, you know, Jalen Brown hasn't played in the better part of a week and a half um, as he was, you know, resting an injury. But he had 22 points in the game, nine rebounds. I mean, he looked pretty good. But for whatever reason, boy, he got on the line with 7.6 left. And talk about clenching the butt cheeks. He just looked uh, completely <laughs> completely nervous and just literally short-armed the two free throws. Missed them both. Uh, the Knicks uh, end up getting the rebound. They get fouled. Two free throws made, you know, and then uh, uh, Celtics had one last game desperation shot didn't go in and they lose their third straight for the second time this season uh and the Knicks have now won two in a row uh the Celtics will host LeBron James and the Lakers <laughs> at TD Garden that ought to be fun because LeBron hates Boston has made no bones about it calls it a racist city yada 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 so that ought to be fun coming up on uh Saturday afternoon the Bruins lose last night just their uh uh sixth loss of the season they lose to the Tampa Bay Lightning 3-2. to two. Uh, Victor Hedman with the go-ahead goal, 631 left in the game. That's the 11th straight home victory uh, for the Lightning in that game. The Bruins uh, are on a five-game road trip. They will be at Florida on Saturday night. It is 16 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to run our interview that we uh, had with Dan Zampano last night uh, about the NFL. Back in a minute, you're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call, and as we are every Friday, we are thrilled to be joined by Dan Zampano to talk NFL football. Dan, uh, two for four last week. You, you, you missed on a couple of them. We'll get to all those in a minute, but before we get to last week's games, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk Patriots first. I mean, the, the team that is near and dear to your heart, although probably less near and dear the last couple of years, but um, they made the uh, signing of Bill O'Brien official. My first question to you is, how are he and Mac Jones going to get along considering the two of them both appear uh, to have tempers? And, and I mean, Bill O'Brien got into it a lot with Tom Brady, and Mac Jones doesn't have Tom Brady's uh, gravitas yet. So how, how are those two going to get along? Well, first off, I'll say this. Um, there's a god. Uh, <laughs> they hired the guy that, 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 you know, made the most sense yep. and is a professional offensive coordinator and they can finally be rid themselves and basically put 2022 season in the burn pile from what went on with this offense this year. It was a complete disaster. So right off the bat, I think right then and there, you're going to get maybe one to one and a half wins more okay. by, ha by having an actual offensive coordinator that knows what he's doing. I think it also benefits Bill in the sense that Bill will now be able to focus and put his focus on the things that he needs to focus on, like the defense and special teams, which have 
been one has been overrated and the other has been a complete disaster. Right. So, um, so I think this is going to benefit the Patriots in a lot of ways in terms of, um, you know, temperament. Uh, look, this is, this is, this is the NFL. And I think the one thing that Bill O'Brien knows is that, you know, he has got to defer himself to Belichick. Belichick doesn't mind people chewing people out. Like, obviously that's true. I mean, he hired Joe judge for crying out loud. Right. So uh, with that, I think that's fine. I think that with Mac, I think that they're going to be now on the same wavelength. To be quite honest with you, uh, you know, it seems like the Patriots were trying to run type some type of offense that nobody knew how to run last year. Uh, regardless of the offense that they picked, they also picked two guys to run that offense that nobody knew how to run <laughs> by two guys that don't know how to run offense. <laughs> I mean, that's right. really unbelievable to do something like that. And I could, you could see Mac Jones's frustration. Mac Jones didn't have this frustration with Josh McDaniels. Right. I mean, it never happened. That never occurred. And obviously, obviously, there was no worse offensive coordinator in the league than, than Matt Patricia last year. So, to me, um, I, I think this will benefit people on all sides. To, that we now have two people on the same wavelength. Um, is this, given that they're going to have a real offensive coordinator, and we saw some regression, obviously, in Mac Mac Jones this year. Although I, I'm still not convinced that it was regression as much as it was him trying to figure out what the hell to do with what they were giving him. Um, but but having said that, is this a make or break year for Mac Jones? Does he have to go get back above where he was in year one for the Patriots to feel comfortable with him as their franchise quarterback? I don't think that he can stagnate or stay the same as he was last year. Okay, I don't think that can happen. I do think that this is has, there does need to be a stepping stone. I don't think it's a make or break year. I mean, they still have him under rookie contract for another two years. Right. They have a fifth year option if they want to use it. I mean, that they, they have a lot of options here with him and, and that's the benefit for them to have that, that fifth year option and draft him in the first round. That's why they did it in the first place. They took a chance on a really smart kid that may not have all the talent in the world, but he's really, really bright and he's really smart with the football and he has enough talent to be able to get the job done. So I think that that is, if they can get that, if they can get back to what exactly, the good thing about O'Brien is that O'Brien is a type of coach that is not going to outfit an offense that he wants to run. He is going to look at the whole sum of its, of the parts and say, what do I have to work with? And what is the best course of action right. here? And I think that's the way they'll get it done. This is not some type of offense or Patriot offense that the, that they're going to do. I mean, if you go back to 09-2010, he saw that they needed to change, and he went to Bill and was credited a lot of it with, hey, let's let's do something different. Let's get two tight end sets in here, and let's let's go to work in the passing game and become more of a passing offense. And they did that. They, they transitioned out of the Randy Moss, Wes Welker kind of spread offense and transitioned into the two tight end offense that was – you know, so popular after that, you know, with Gronk and Hernandez. So I think he will look at the, what is at the team and wh- who is on the team and try to manage that roster and tailor fit it to what the offense will do. I, uh, on my show um, on, on Thursday, I, I kind of uh, 
was talking about where the Patriots go from here, and with the draft coming up, they've got it. You know, I mean, they're not going. They're not going to have the greatest draft pick in the world, but they're certainly not picking at the bottom. My my assertion is the number one pick for the Patriots needs to be offensive line, and number two needs to be a wide receiver. Now, having said that, what are the chances you think that the Patriots, depending on how the draft falls early, what are the chances you think the Patriots might hedge their bets with Mac Jones and take a quarterback? Zero. Okay. Good. I, good. 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 I don't think there's any chance that they do that. I don't think there's. I don't, why would? I mean, they have Bailey Zappi backing them up, and they know he can play. Right. So you know, I mean, why are we? I don't think there's any chance that that would ever happen. I do agree with you on the offensive line standpoint. I definitely think that receiver. I'm less agreeable because again. You know, I know they haven't picked them well, but you do not need to draft a wide receiver in the middle of the first round when typically those guys get taken right at like the number 9, 10, 11, 12 spot. You know, so I, if there's a good enough receiver out there, if there's that kid from Ohio State that's out there and, and they want to take a swing at it, yep. and if he, they think he can fit into the offense, sure, why not? Uh, I wouldn't hate it. I would definitely be excited. But I think there's just more pressing issues. They need they need offensive linemen. They need a cornerback. Desperately need a number one cornerback. Right. And they need they need they need faster speed at linebacker. They just need those things. There's a lot of good linebackers and a lot of good corners in this in this uh, in this draft. So this is a heavy edge rusher and a heavy corner slash safety draft this year. I got and and I'll, let me tell you the only reason that I that I brought that up this morning. I was watching. ESPN the other day, which is part of my problem. I shouldn't be watching that very often. Um, but they had uh, poison, rat, rat poison. Yeah. Nick Saban uh, well, I'm telling you, and they had Mel Kiper on, who has become less and less relevant as time has gone on. But having having, mm. having said that, do you did you hear this show the other day where he is convinced that the best NFL ready quarterback in this draft is Will Levis? Ha. Huh. That's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think people are going to make the comparisons, of, uh, the Josh Allen comparisons okay. to Will Levis okay. a lot. I, I really do because he's huge, first off. Yes. He's massive. Yep. He can move, uh, and he can throw outside the pocket. He's not the most accurate guy in the world, kind of like how Josh Allen was. Right. But he can definitely has all those intangibles. And if he can be developed in his accuracy, then, yeah, definitely, there could be. Uh, there's just no way that he is more polished and developed, though, than Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Well, I, that's, just, I cannot agree with that. Uh, I, I agree. I would agree. I thought he was, and I just, it was one of those, I don't know what he's smoking, but, man, he needs to get some new stuff. A um, couple of other things before we get to last week's game. Uh, the Jets have decided on Nathaniel Hackett as their offensive coordinator. Thoughts? I mean, yeah, I think there's so many instances. This is one of those classic instances where, you know, guys are much better coordinators than than coaches, right? I right. mean, and I think that Hackett is definitely better at that job. I don't think he's an unbelievable, you know, offensive mind. I think he's going to run exactly what his father ran. He's going to run the West Coast offense. Yep. They're going to put in the zone run schemes that are very popular. So it won't look that different from a rushing perspective than, than Mike LaFleur was doing, but it will look different in terms of it'll be more 
um, you know, one back scenarios, it'll be more, you know, spreading out on the shotgun and, you know, having, having more design pass plays through running backs and things like that. And, you know, it'll be a lot of more dink and dunk type of scenarios, I think, and getting guys out in open space. And I, and I think that will benefit a guy like Garrett Wilson, a guy like Elijah Moore certainly benefits from that. So I think it could work. Nothing matters until they have a quarterback. Well, that was, I mean, just nothing matters. Right. That was going to be. He can't start working on putting an offense in until they know whether it's going to be Zach or it's going to be somebody else. Right. And and, and apparently they say it's going to be Zach Wilson. Really? Again next year. So I mean, good luck. <laughs> good luck. I mean, he'll be on another new new coach uh, coming in to coach this offense. Uh, maybe this might suit his game a little better or kind of like the quick throw game right. has to be there. The anticipation game has to be there. Right. Uh, we'll see if he can manage it. Um, report out of Indianapolis uh, from a reporter that's pretty close to the, the scene there has said that the owner wants to give the job to Jeff Saturday, and he is getting a lot of pushback <laughs> from – from his front office, I'll tell you. No what, kidding. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where if if he gives Jeff Saturday this job, is it time to like see if Grandpa needs to go to a home? I mean, I'm serious, you know, because what did anybody see in Jeff Saturday other than the fact supposedly he's a really nice guy? What, what did they see last year? You know, in the eight games that he coached, that they feel like that this guy could could take this team. Uh, that, that is a, you know, maybe you could go to like a psychic or a palm reader to get the answer to that question. I'm not really sure to be honest with you. I I think it's definitely, you know, it's, I I just don't see it. And this is Ursay being Ursay again, making these clown decisions, uh, where there's so many better options out there. I mean, just so many better options. You would be a better Uh, option. Like a guy. I think so, right? I mean, I, I, th- I, you know, I could coach at high school level and then get that done. I mean, if you look at the option of it is, you know, look at a guy like Steve Wilkes in Carolina right. who did what he did with that team. I mean, you don't think guys would respect that and he would be able to, you know, go into that team and, and be a, a solid defensive coach that, that could that could find an offensive coordinator to work there? Right. You know, I think that that would be awesome. I could see Saturday, honestly – you know, being like an O-line coach, yeah. I could definitely see that yep. like in the, in the league. Sure. Yep. But court, even coordinator, I think is well beyond his scope, well beyond his scope. There was nothing last year that I saw that told me, in fact, there was all these things that I did see that told me he should not be a head coach. <laughs> um, you know, the only guy that they could hire that would be worse than Jeff Saturday, Urban Meyer. Be, yeah, I was just gonna say that'd be, yeah. that'd be, urban development. Yeah, that's who. That'd be about it. But but <laughs> you, know. you know, that's another franchise though that is going to have to do something. They're going to have to make a decision of what they're going to do going forward about quarterback. That's got to be job number one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, no doubt, no I mean, doubt. I mean, they have to. They, that that's their main concern. They what do they have? The fifth pick, I think. Or yes, the sixth pick or yeah. fourth pick. Or I think something it's, like I think that. it's five. I think it's five. I mean, if you're if you're them, I mean. How are you not looking at saying, "Hey, Chicago, right. hey, uh, you know, whoever's at that third pick, you know, what what's the price?" Right. You know. Right. Just 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 give us a price. I mean, it has to be fixed. They have not had one since Andrew Locke, and that that has been 
you know, what, three, four years now? Right. That they've been just kind of like, you know, bubble gum and, and tape on, on the quarterback position. It's the only position that you can't do that with. Right. I mean, goodness gracious. Um, the uh, last thing I got uh, about offseason stuff right now, anyway, is uh, the market for Sean Payton seems to be cooling a bit. Um, there's some talk that he that the second interview that he had in Denver has been kind of put off. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, a lot of these teams that are interested in a coach like Sean Payton also have, you know, a pretty good draft opportunities and they cannot afford, or actually in the case of uh, Denver, perhaps not, but they cannot afford to give up draft capital for a 59-year-old coach that's going to have to rebuild a team you know, I, to me, that seems like, and by the way, pay him a lot of money. That just seems like maybe as people have looked into this a little bit more, they're like, you know what? Maybe that's a little bit too rich for our blood. Cause I mean, the saints have said they want a first round draft pick and then some. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I, I think though, that you got to look at certain, you know, situations like this where teams have traded for coaches and there's no other bigger situation obviously than Belichick right and and that obviously worked out it for did. the Patriots they so. had to give up first round pick but I mean look what you got out of it you know like like you're expecting Super Bowls when you're talking about Sean Payton the only position that may get a better return on investment if you're trading for a coach that coach obviously no coach gets traded Right. That isn't a supreme correct. Agreed. I mean, that just never happened. Agreed. So obviously, you know, at the end of the day, it may be worth it for you to go out and do it. It's the only position outside of quarterback, you know, and maybe even more important than quarterback that you could trade for and say, I'm probably going to get a good return on this investment here. If, so, you know, I, I, I would say that it might be worth it. I just don't see now with the market closing up, you know, I don't know if you saw this. We just got breaking news that that Frank Reich was just hired by the Panthers. Oh, he was. Okay. So well, yes. So that so that market now the market's even smaller than it already was. But you know what? If so, I, I mean, if, Houston's but, not going to do it. No, but but if but if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm uh, Sean Payton, I I think the most attractive job to me simply because of who the quarterback is. I think Arizona might be the place that I'd want to I'd want to try to land. I mean that that's a that's a possibility, but you you realize you're not going to have that quarterback for your first well, year. That's true. That's yeah. So, I forgot about that. You, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. And and how do you deal with that quarterback? Like, yeah, he's very talented, but I mean, you, you've got a real a real head case on your hands. Prima here Donna. with that, and yeah, I mean, more than maybe any other quarterback in the league. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're already walking in that situation. There's not a real good situation to walk into. I think Carolina obviously was the best. Right. Now that job is obviously gone because you have kind of a foundation. You just need to get the quarterback there. And, you know, outside of that, I mean, you could say Houston. You could definitely say that because, hey, I mean, you're starting from scratch. You can <laughs> mold true. it however you want it. I'd be a great little fit there. Can you work with that owner? Can you work with that GM? Right. You know, uh, it'll be, I don't know, it'll be interesting. And do you feel like getting your brains beat in for a few years? Um, the other, right. I mean, the, exactly. other, the other part of it is, I guess, I mean, look, he's got a history of, of you know, working with a pretty good quarterback uh, down in New Orleans. Maybe he's the guy that can help uh, fix or figure out what was wrong 
uh, with Russell Wilson this year. Maybe maybe the Denver thing would be, you know, I mean, they've. Got, I think Denver's got a little bit more to work with overall than than obviously than than uh, Arizona. They, they does. do, but. They do, but with his contract situation, he's just hampered by that. I just That's there's true. just no yeah. way I think that Denver could ever make that move. Yeah, you're probably can't right. Do it. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. So well, we'll see what happens. There's still a lot of dominoes to fall, but uh, interesting. Frank Reich to Carolina because the thing I read yesterday, it sounded like it was almost a done deal that uh, that he was headed to uh, Arizona. So uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, what happens with Sean Payton. Uh, let's get to last week's games. Uh, we'll start out on Saturday. And uh, look, that Chiefs Jaguars game when when uh, Patrick Mahomes went down, every butt cheek in Kansas City clenched. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. But how about how about Chad Henney coming off the bench and you know getting it done while while Mahomes came back out? But I guess if you're a Chiefs fan, the good news is is that he had a press conference yesterday on, and and there was no uh, no limp. He wasn't wearing a boot and he's playing. Whether he's 100 percent or not, who knows? But it's Patrick Mahomes, and we've seen him play injured before. And uh, what was it back in 2019? And uh, he was dynamite. Mm-hmm. He was dynamite. So I mean, I I don't think I could ever bet against this guy. This is like reminding me now of like when Brady cut his hand at practice before the Jags game. I mean, it's like yeah. this is the, everybody is watching this knee. So what is the knee? What's the ankle going to do? I right. mean, the ankle, that's a high ankle sprain. He shouldn't be playing on that. It's going to take him three weeks to four weeks to recover. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. goodness gracious. It's like right. it's never ending. To me, I think that game comes down to two things. One, Chad Henney. Yep. Chad Henney having an unbelievable job of just managing that, yep. managing that drive. He didn't really do much on that drive. Didn't have to. I think he had like 23 yards passing on the, on the drive. Correct. But he managed it perfectly, and they never – took their foot off the gas in terms of changing the play calling. Right. They ran the football. Something that Kansas City has done a much better job of this year yep. is running the football. Uh, Travis Kelsey was outstanding in this game. I thought he was the player of the game, no question. But the thing that also really drove drove a win for the Chiefs, I mean, Jacksonville just missed so many opportunities. They did. I mean, just oper- so many opportunities. The drop pass by Christian Kirk at the end of the half, yep. horrific. The fumble down at the goal line for uh, for Agnew just killed them. I mean, it was really – Jacksonville left a lot out there on the table, and I think they're in a really good position going forward to be a real force in that, in that division for a long time, mainly because they found their quarterback. Right. They have their guy. They have the best quarterback, no question, and they're the most talented roster, no question. I mean, we said they were the most talented roster in the in that division before the season started. Right. You know, so I mean, I, and they just put it all together. They had the coach put it together. Well, it was the perfect storm for Jacksonville. They looked great, and I think that their future is bright. But Kansas City showed championship medal, and Mahomes showed guts. You know, I I, I have been extremely critical of him in the past. Um, you know, and some deservedly so, and some maybe not. But this was all respect to Patrick Mahomes for what he did. He was gutsy. You know, a lot is made sometimes, uh, you know, you get into the playoffs in, in, in any sport, whether it's football, baseball, hockey, whatever it is. And people say, well, you know, do you have playoff experience? And, and the playoff experience makes a difference. Did you get a sense that maybe some of what happened with Jacksonville here, the drop passes, et cetera, were just a case of the, the moment being a little bit too big and these guys really uh, having not been there before? 
I think there's probably some of that there. I mean, you saw that in the Charger game. Yes. I mean, I thought the moment was like, oh, boy, you know, (laughs) maybe it's too big for Lawrence here. Right. But, again, they were just mistakes. And Lawrence Lawrence has played in big moments. You know, he's played in national championship games. He's had a lot of pressure on him. This is big, yes, absolutely, no question. But I think his calm, cool demeanor allowed him to at least stay in that game. And they had a chance to win this game. They really did. But, uh, you know, again, like I said, cooler heads prevailed. And I thought that Andy Reid really called in a fantastic game. He really did. They they hit all the right strings when they needed to at the end of that game, especially when Mahomes was limping around out there. They, They allowed him to make, you know, easier passes, running the football, I thought they they really were methodical in that. Well, uh, the evening game not quite so entertaining, and uh, you actually no. thought, you actually thought the Giants were going to win this game. This is, and uh, I, I yeah, remind me never to talk again about yeah. that. <laughs> I I, uh, I looked up at the scoreboard at halftime, and it was twenty eight nothing. And I looked down at your pick sheet, and I went, "Oh, that's not going to happen." Uh, look, it, I'll you have to two things. Uh, you talked about Mahomes being gutsy. Jalen Hurts was as gutsy as they come because he's not healthy. You know, it's obvious that he's not healthy. But you got to give a lot of credit to the Philadelphia defense here. Uh, they they were you know Daniel Jones was uh, had no idea what the hell to do. And and I I really think it's the all the credit in this game to me goes to that Philly defense. Oh, I mean absolutely. I mean, what, the the problem with Jones is that, and, and he does deserve another contract. I think he does. But the problem was that he is not putting the team on his back and winning a game like that. Right. It's just not going to happen. They don't have the talent around him. Hurts has the talent around him to be able to do stuff like that. Yep. And Hurts, I think, is obviously a more dynamic and probably a better player than Jones. I think he's, I think, I think they're actually in a lot of ways, very comparable I just think that there's a lot of weapons on on Philly that allow Hurts to do that, and um, I don't know. I just I, I I think you're right. I think the defense, you know, was definitely the issue. I mean, they were confused all night and they were overmatched. I mean, it's just a talent thing, right? You know, I mean, they didn't do anything different than what they normally do with the Giants. They just have more talent, and uh, at the end of the day, maybe that's what propels Philly to where they, you know, where, where they might go is the reason that they're the favorite to win the Super Bowl right now is the most talented roster. And sometimes we saw with the Rams last year, sometimes that's all you need. It's the players that win the game. And if you've got more, the better players than the other team, right. sometimes the coaching doesn't really matter. Well, and, and the defense on the other side, when you, when you're the New York giants and you allow Philadelphia to go 10 for 14 on third down, it's awful hard to to win any against anybody when when the other team is doing that. And I, and I hope that the Giants recognize with this contract negotiation that they go in with Daniel Jones and say, "Look, we know your you're, we know your agent wants this much money, this that and the other. We are not getting a team. Uh, uh, we're not going to have a good team if, if we're paying that much money. Right. We're just not. Right. You know, we we need to we want to build this team around you, but we need you to work with us and say, look." we need a lot more on offense. We need a lot more on defense. You know, there's this roster needs to be outfitted and they can't do that. If they pay Daniel Jones that much money, they just can't do it. You know, uh, it's funny when you, I, the first thing, when you said that I was thinking about how many years that Tom Brady took less money from the new England Patriots 
to allow the Patriots mm-hmm. to do what they did. If he was getting the money that he probably should have gotten, no, not probably, that he should have gotten, you know, maybe the Patriots aren't as good and don't win as many Super Bowls um, if Tom Brady's not willing to make that sacrifice. But the question is, in this day and age, how many quarterbacks are going to be willing to make that sacrifice? And I guess if you're Daniel Jones, you have to think about, you know, how important are championships to me? And maybe, maybe on the flip side of that, you could look at a guy like Aaron Rodgers right. and say, I mean, he's the highest paid quarterback in football, and they didn't make the playoffs. Right. They just couldn't outfit their roster. Right. You know, so they're, and, that, and that team is a heavy draft team. They don't spend a lot in free agency. They're very much like the Patriots. They are cheap, yeah. but yeah. they spend a lot of money on that quarterback. They do. Um, so we'll go to the Sunday game and, uh, the early game on Sunday. This is another one that, uh, you missed this one. Uh, you had Buffalo winning this game and, uh, Cincinnati, uh, showed me an awful lot, but I, before we get to the actual game itself, can you explain to me why Cincinnati all of a sudden has picked up this moniker of being like the evil empire of the NFL all of a sudden, where, where did that come from? Have they? I haven't heard that. Oh, you have. I mean, it's. I mean, they're getting killed all the time, and I don't. Is it? Is it Joe Burrow that they think he's too cocky, or what is it that all of a sudden there's people that that just hate Cincinnati? I don't know. I mean, I I have yet to meet a lot any real people. You that haven't read that stuff that online. They can't stand Cincinnati. No, I. Oh my God. I haven't seen it. Well, I must have not seen it. I yeah, mean, well, you probably don't. I definitely enough. have seen it with Kansas City, oh but my goodness. Not, not Cincinnati. Oh, it was all over Twitter this week. I should, you know, I should have, I should have sent you some of the stuff. It was, and I was just trying to figure out where it was coming from because I don't get it. I really don't get it. I, this team is likable uh, to me. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. And I think, but I also think that's probably just all those public people. That had Buffalo Bills Super Bowl tickets, just mad. That's that. Well, the, that, the Bills that's Mafia. Probably what I think is, yeah, well, the Bills Mafia it, is it a little was brutal. The most bet team. Yeah, it was brutal. I mean, it was the most. I mean, every single. Did you ever see anybody on TV that did not pick the Bills to, to go to the Super Bowl? No. Did you see anybody? No. I preseason. Yeah. I never ever saw anybody pick the Chiefs, pick the Bengals, pick anybody. Right. Pick anything outside of Buffalo. I'm like, this is too. This is it's. It's like way, way too hard for this to be the case. Right. Um. So you know, with it all being that way, I, I think that this is definitely one of the cases where, oh, Buffalo being maybe the favorite here, people wanted to see it in Buffalo. Cincinnati is completely likable. I don't know where that comes from, and I was stunned, stunned at how much they dominated up front. I mean, they just absolutely emasculated the Buffalo Bills up front. It was incredible. And I thought the player of the game to me was Jackson Carmen, the left tackle. For him to come in like that cold and play the game of his life, really. He was excellent in rushing and pass blocking. He was great. And gave Burrow all the time. And Burrow Burrow was just a killer. Burrow... Burrow has that fire in him. You could see it in his eyes. Like he is a killer, and, and at the end of the day, killers kill. Well, and and they did that. And I know one of the reasons why you picked Buffalo wasn't just you know because of Josh Allen and and you know the steamroller that has been Buffalo the last couple of seasons, but you were really concerned 
about that Cincinnati offensive line. That's one of the reasons that you said you weren't sure, you know, that that offensive line was was going to be patchwork, and you just thought that there might be too much trouble. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, I mean, unbelievable. I, you know, the fact that Joe Burrow got sacked once all game. I tell you what, I don't know what the if there was a if there was a ticket on that, the over under had to be higher than one and a half. Uh, uh, absolutely. I'm going to say one more thing, though, Gene, yeah. about about Buffalo. Yep. And I have said it. I have said it for like two years, basically. I've said it multiple times on this show and on my show. This is not a team that is built for weather. Which they is silly. Are just not. <laughs> it's absolutely silly that you could be in Buffalo and have zero toughness on your offense and have yeah. zero identity. I mean, what is their offense? Yeah. Their offense Josh is. Allen. Let Josh Allen go make a play. Yeah. yeah, that's not an offense. That's not an offense. Is is it fair? It, just, it doesn't work. Is it fair to say that because I've seen a, you know after Buffalo loses you know and then of course you know, all the gloom and doom comes out and there is like you know Buffalo's regressing. Uh, is it fair to say though that perhaps uh, the the area that Buffalo really needs to address is being able to run the football? That maybe oh. you know, maybe maybe Devin Singletary is not the guy you want to have back there. You know, maybe maybe they want to f- come out with a you know a guy that can just carry the load and take some of the pressure off of Josh Allen. No, Gene, because that's rocket science. We don't know how to do rocket. <laughs> hey, look, science. if I know this, what, you know, <laughs> like I mean, it, it, it is baffling to me yep. that they could not find a rush game outside of Josh Allen this right. year. Right. And they just flat out refused to do it. I mean, when they calmed down, when they when they started going to more of, you know, let's call it Cincinnati's based offense, a, a dink and dunk offense, quote unquote, right. if you will. I mean, Joe Burrow has been way better this year because he's not throwing the ball down the field like he was last year. Right. And they were really good at that last year. You haven't heard about that this year. No. Nope. Downfield passing game. They're they're a over the middle of the field team. Now they check down to their running backs. They throw over the middle to Higgins. They throw over the middle to Boyd. Hayden Hurst had a really nice game. Yep. I mean, he made some huge plays. I mean, Chase was hurt a lot. I think it actually benefited them that Chase was out because now they didn't have. Now they couldn't rely on Chase's downfield athletic ability. Like now they could tailor their offense to say, "Why don't we get Chase? You know, kind of in the middle of the field and have him run." Right, and it's been way better for their offense, way better. And and Buffalo just doesn't have it. Buffalo is is all or nothing. They're like the Yankees; they just hit a home run or strike out. That's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, you know, the other when I was looking at the uh, the stats from this game, the number that jumped out at me: Cincinnati with thirty first downs in this game. Thirty, unbelievable. I mean, that's unbelievable. Oof, that that is a huge number. Uh, and credit credit their offensive line in the rush game because Mixon and P Ryan also were awesome yep. in this game, and they ran rough shot over that defense. So then we get to the 49er-Dallas game, and I think this game kind of went the way everybody expected it would go, didn't it? You know, I mean, you kind of expected a low-scoring, you know, kind of slug-em-out kind of game, and, and, you know, but there are calls in Dallas now that uh, uh, that everybody needs to go, you know, and and and. I don't know that that's fair because, look, Dak Prescott wasn't great this year. Zeke Elliott was not great. Then Pollard gets hurt, which is a killer, right? 
Um, but let's you know, let's not forget that this was they were playing against the best defense in the NFL. And they still had a chance to win this game midway through the fourth quarter. So I don't think it was as big a disaster. I don't think it was as big a disaster as Dallas fans are kind of making this out to be. Am I wrong? When you're in Dallas, you have expectations of winning. Like the Yankees. So when you don't don't win, Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really is. When you don't win and you just consistently do the same thing in the playoffs every single year, it's it's like you keep trying. It's the definition of insanity is trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Right. right. I mean, yep. and and what was the result? Again, you could say, oh, it's not as bad as it was. But at the end of the day, yeah, they had a chance to win. They would have had a much better chance to win if Dak Prescott doesn't throw an interception at the end of the first half. True. Or, or gives up three points in the in the beginning of the game. I mean, like they would have had a better chance to win. I mean, Kellen Moore had maybe the worst play calling sequence of his entire career, and they had the ball with three minutes to go to go win the game. Right. I mean, it was unbelievable how awful and disgusting that was. And and forget just let's not even mention okay the 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 ridiculous last play of the game. Which, oh my oh, God. God! knows what that was. What was that? What just <laughs> Zeke Elliott's final play as a cowboy? Is yeah, a, just go out there center. and play center. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh, all right, guys, get ready to send him off on a stretcher. Yeah, because he's going to get trucked. Whacked. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, totally ridiculous. And look, it goes to it again. Is like we've said it. These are this is an overrated offensive coordinator. It's an overrated quarterback, without question. I mean, you, you have to at some point address the realities and the realities is that Dak Prescott is now overpaid. Right. I think he's still a viable, good, solid quarterback in the league, but he's average and he's overpaid and, and Kellen Moore probably shouldn't be the offensive coordinator there. I mean, that's probably the case. So, you know, these teams are really going to have to start really being a lot more judicious about is this a good quarterback? Is he actually a, are we going to pay him market value price? Right. You know, like Dak is not there. Dak is not in the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson. He's not Justin Herbert. He's not in that era or heir apparent. He's just not. Is it, Sorry. is it fair to say that where he's at is about the same place that Derek Carr was at with the Raiders this year? Yeah, I think that is fair. I absolutely think that's fair. Or and 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 maybe maybe a little bit better than that. But I mean, I hate to keep harping on it because he's a guy that just you know consistently, you know we we bring it up when we talk about good to average quarterback is Kirk Cousins, right? You know, and and in that in that realm, the Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, where most of the most of the players around him are benefiting him more than he is lifting the team up. Right. That's really what it is. Well, and yeah, well, I think that's fair. Well, and but it's also you know you mentioned kind of like um, Daniel Jones of the Giants that Daniel Jones, if you need him to win you a game, he may not be able to. Just like Dak Prescott may not be able to do that for the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, so I think there's a lot of that in the NFL this year. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's there's the the young quarterbacks that are coming up are either in that basket, the too young basket to know, right. Or okay, now we know they're an elite talent. Right. That's that's the basket. There's three baskets, and really, the second one is the worst one. You being in between. 
in between. Yeah. You never want to be in between. Is, is, Tom, is Tom Brady in between now? No, I don't think so. No, I, I I think he's still I think he's still in the first basket where, you know. But Tom Brady's not getting overpaid. Tom Brady makes a very modest salary yep. compared to what Compa- he brings yeah. to the table. Agreed, agreed. All right, let's get to this week's games. Um, the first game: San Francisco is at Philly. Uh, Philly is a two and a half point favorite. Again, Jalen Hurts says his shoulders at about eighty percent. He was ben- he benefited last week. He only had to throw the ball twenty four times. But you wonder how tentative he's going to be running the football, you know, with fear that he's going, that he could hurt that shoulder more. Is that going to factor into this game? Not to mention in San Francisco. No, this, no, no, this is a game for your life. Okay. I mean, this is for the Super Bowl. If it, if it doesn't, if you're not, if you're not ready to go, like don't play in a game. Okay. That's you know, fair. like this is it. Uh, I, I think that, you know, with this, I think there's two schools uh, and two styles that are contrasting here. I think Philadelphia is going to want to attack the 49ers interior offense of uh, interior defensive line. Uh, I think that's where they have the advantage because they have a lot of speed on the outside Mm -hmm. uh, for the 49ers and their linebackers are really fast. So I think power football is really where they want to go. And it's going to be hard because 49ers are going to have to deal with this RPO action, this read read option action, because that's all it's going to be. And, And they're going to really have to rely on, on instincts. Now that's going to be hard, and the fact that you've got three really, really good wide receivers in in and a tight end like Goddard, with Brown, Goddard, and Smith. If you go to man to man, which they typically don't, they're going to leave one of those guys on an island with somebody that's not going to be a good matchup for them. So that's a hard thing. You're going to see a lot of zone defense from from San Francisco and rely on the pass rush of Nick Bosa. On the other side, uh, you do not want to attack the Eagles defensive line on the interior, you want to make those big guys chase. Right. And, and that's what the outside run zones, outside zone run scheme is for San Francisco. That's their bread and butter. Um, and I thought that if you go back and watch the tape against green Bay, the one that the Eagles played against the Packers, the Packers really did expose the, the, the Eagles in that game. So they could find success there uh, if they do that, but that's going to set up play action for Brock Purdy. And that's the thing is, you know, if they can get the run game going, and that's a big if, if they can get the run game going against the Eagles, can Brock Purdy, can Brock Purdy deliver? I, I think at the end of the day, there's just less that Philadelphia has to do to win this game. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and I think San Francisco needs big efforts, big efforts. They need turnovers. That, that's what they need. They, they, and Philly just doesn't turn the ball over. They're the third ranked team in turnover differential. They're plus eight. They're going to need turnovers, and they're going to need a big game from their quarterback. Right. And the quarterback really hasn't had a good game in the playoffs. Let's be honest with yep. you. He really hasn't. No. And he's young, and, he's, and, and I think he's got a bright future ahead of him where no matter what he does. Uh, but I, I just think there's too many things that need to go San Francisco's way. And they might go that way, and they might. They could definitely win this game, no question. This is a very good game. But I just think that the Eagles have, have just less to do to win this game. They're just more talented, and I think you credit to their defensive line to win this game. I think their defensive line controls the game. Mm-hmm. They win the game, and I think they will, and I think the Eagles will go to the Super Bowl, like I said before the season began. If you have to look at one guy on San Francisco to make a difference, is Christian McCaffrey that guy? Uh, in terms of the whole game or yes. offensively? Yeah, offensively. 
I mean, if they're going to do anything offensively, does it have to be McCaffrey or does it have to be Purdy? No, I I think it's Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey. Really? I think it's the two tackles. Yeah, because because they are the key to the zone run scheme. I I think those two guys, not only in the run scheme, but in the play-action game, McGlinchey's gotten a lot better at the pass protection, and we know Trent Williams is Trent Williams. Right. They're the key to the game. Okay. Because that outside, if you can get outside on Philly, you can beat them. I mean, you make them run. You make those big guys run. Uh, you know, you can beat him. So I think McCaffrey or Mitchell or whoever it's going to be is going to be able to benefit from Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey dominating. They have to dominate, and and that'll be a hard task. I really think it will be. They have the ability to do it. Those two guys are really good, but you have to be good at those positions. And I think also, really, it's really the offensive line in general. The the, the interior guys can't get beat inside, or that's going to be a problem too. So. I think it's the offensive line of San Francisco that holds the key to this whole game for them. Second game, Cincinnati at Kansas City. And this has been a – in Vegas, this has been a wild one. Kansas City opened at like a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Then they turn – next thing you know, they're down like a point-and-a-half because everybody's betting on Cincinnati. And now it's swung back the other way, and the Chiefs are a one-point favorite. Absolutely wild. I think people were were banking on – Mahomes' injury and and trying to see what he was. And now that they saw him in practice, he looks like he's okay. Right. He says he's going to go. Reed says he's probably going to go. I mean, you could speculate what you could speculate. I think we just need to look at this game as Patrick Mahomes is going to play. Right. Like at the end of the day, he's going to play. So if he's in the game, the Chiefs are dangerous. Um, But in this game, I think it comes down to for – for Cincinnati, you know, I, I think that they, again, like I kind of like how I mentioned before with, with the lack of, that the Bills lack this, is that Cincinnati's game is going to be, okay, can we hold up in pass protection against exotic blitzes from Spagnola and get balls over the middle? Because Spagnola, the defensive coordinator, is not a high-rate blitzer when it comes to his calls, mm-hmm. but he calls a lot of exotic, strange blitzes at really good times in the game. So he's really good at that. Okay. The question is, can they hold up? And I think that they've actually been really good at holding up on that offensive line in particular against those blitzes and five-man pressures and those things like that. So I think that, I think that Cincinnati is going to have to attack them over the middle. Can Kansas City, can Kansas City get a rush in? That's the question. Frank Clark, Chris Jones has been maybe the best, maybe maybe the best defensive tackle in the game right now is Chris Jones. I mean, really, he is. He's been outstanding. So, I think this is going to be a real battle in the interior. Like I said, for Cincinnati, can they keep Burrow upright? They have. I mean, every time they play him, he kills him. I mean, every time they play him, he's going for three, four hundred yards in the game. So, and is Burrow going to run more? I think Burrow designing him, himself and scrambling. Kansas City doesn't do well with, with scrambling quarterbacks, so I think this is going to be a hard game for them if he gets out of the pocket. Okay. The other side is Mahomes. I think that this is what everybody wants to know is how do they attack Mahomes. Is Mahomes really what, they, what they'd like to do and, and why they were successful last year is in the game last year, they hardly blitzed them. Right. I mean, they hardly blitzed them. And not only did they hardly blitz them, they almost they, – they sent – three rushers almost the entire game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was unbelievable. They just went eight man in coverage and just sat back and forced him to throw the ball down the field 
into tighter areas and harder throws for him to make. Now, that worked with Tyreek Hill. Like, you know, you had to protect against that. But one of the things that Kansas City has done is they've decided, okay, we're not going to run these pass-heavy, you know, formations. We're going to get into two and even three tight end formations. I mean, how many times have you seen not just Kelsey, but the other tight ends like Noah Gray, like Blake Bell, get these catches in the game where you're like, oh, that was a big play. They needed that. And they, they have been really explosive with all three of their tight ends. And that's also led them to be explosive in the run game. They've been a lot better at that. So I think the offenses are at the advantage here. Okay. Where I think the rub is and why I'm going to pick the team I'm going to pick is just because of this. I think that there are more paths for Lou Anaromo's defense to stop Mahomes than there is for Kansas City. I just think that I think that he, at the end of the day, is so good at in-game adjustments on that defensive side that I think that they can counter what what the the Chiefs are going to call. The Chiefs are going to have to be really creative with their power game. That's really what they're going to have to be, and I think that Cincinnati is going to be ready for it. They play really good team defense, and I'm just not sure Kansas City's defense holds up. I, I just don't see it. I know this is crazy to say, but I think Cincinnati will probably outscore Kansas City. I really do. Wow. And, and, and I'll tell you one thing, too, Gene. In the game they played previous this season, it was a close game, and, and, and Cincinnati pulled it out in the end. But both teams ran the ball really effectively, really effectively, both teams. The difference was Cincinnati had the ball for 32 minutes in the game. Right. I think whoever, I think whoever wins the time of possession, and, and you know, I mean, that's kind of obvious, but I really think it matters in this game, is whoever has the, time, the ball more in time of possession will win the game. And I think Cincinnati's more equipped to do that and more balanced to do that in this game. They'll force Mahomes to make vertical deep passes on his bad ankle, and I think that they'll go big if they need to go big. And, and, and get after their, their tight ends as well. So I, I think the Bengals will go again. I think they'll be back in the Super Bowl for the second straight year, and it'll be a great matchup to see it and to see Eagles, Bengals, really random teams yeah. uh, to play against each other, but also really historic teams and, and, and a fun matchup with two really fun teams to go up against each other. You know, um, I remember when we were – previewing the season one thing you and I both agreed on we both thought that Cincinnati was going to take a step back this year uh mm-hmm. you know and and I guess I, I think you, you have to give I think you have to give a lot of that credit to Joe Burrow I think Joe Burrow and their fixing of the offensive line I think those are the two things I think Burrow was better this year than he was last year but the fact that the Bengals went out and fixed that offensive line this year I think is what allowed that to happen and you know god knew we we didn't know exactly what they were going to be looking like at the start of the season but i'm i i'm shocked that cincinnati's in this position i'm shocked i mean totally i i yeah. you know we talked about it you said it we said both the rams and the Bengals. we thought there's no way no. i mean there's just no way that there these two teams are going to be able to get back and god bless it cincinnati started zero and two and then they lost chase but then they figured out their offensive line issues they got better Good old Teddy Karras, former Patriot. God love him. I mean, he is so much fun to watch. I yep. get to see him. He's the center right now for the Bengals. Get to see him play. I'm rooting for him heavily to, to do well, obviously. But I, I think that this team uh, figured it out there. And they also figured out their offense and to say that, okay, we can't just be a vertical down the field offense. We need to be able to run the football and throw the ball over the middle and be patient because that's where Joe is at his best is when Joe can – 
kind of step up in the pocket, kind of look like he's running. Joe Burrow's running a lot more this year. I mean, he has a lot of time. I think he has like five rushing touchdowns right, this year. Right. Uh, you know, so and and that's that's pretty high for a quarterback. So, you know, and it's a lot of design runs too. It's not just it's not just scrambling. So uh, I think that I think that he's gotten so much more mature and so much better. And to me, I think right now, I'm, I mean, he doesn't have any MVPs yet, and he and he's been to two Super Bowls. He's definitely got to win one. But if he wins a Super Bowl, we got to start talking. Is is he the best quarterback in the league? Wow. I mean, is 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 he the best quarterback in the league? If he wins a Super Bowl, I mean, I get it. Mahomes is going to have two MVPs here, but. If he wins the Super Bowl this year, we really got to start thinking, man, is this guy already starting to pass Mahomes? Out of the question that Burrow wins MVP this year? No chance. I think I think it'll be either Mahomes or Hurts. I think more than likely it'll be Mahomes. Okay. Um, but I I, I I I would vote for Hurts. I think Hurts. I really thought that Hurts was was the most valuable to his team. Agreed. In the games that he played, I mean, they lost one game with him. Right. They lost one game. Right. I mean, it was unbelievable. So I get it. He didn't play in all the games. He missed two games, and he, but he was outstanding this year. And Mahomes, Mahomes gets the credit, though, I think, because he was so good and had maybe his, one of his best years without Tyreek Hill in the lineup now. Well, Cincinnati, so I, I, I could see both arguments. Well, Cincinnati hopes you're right, and there's a lot of people uh, in the area going out and getting ready to buy cigars just in case they get to the uh, Super Bowl and they can all smoke a cigar with Joe Burrow when they win the uh, – when they win the Super Bowl. Uh, Dan, enjoy the games this weekend. We will look forward to talking to you next week, breaking that down, and then figuring out how we're going to fill time when we have that bye week next next week, which I absolutely, it's the worst thing ever. I'm sorry. Well, we're not going to break down the the Pro Bowl games. I mean, come on, Gene. Like yeah. this is like the Olympics now in in the NFL. Listen, the league the league always moves. There's always stuff going on in the off season. There's plenty of Patriot talk. I could talk about the Patriots for two hours if you wanted, but it'll be a great time. I cannot wait to see these games, and it'll be so much fun seeing them go down to the wire. This is this is the most pure football you're going to see this weekend because the Super Bowl is so corporate now and just everything about it is just kind of gross at this point and (laughs) price out all the real fans and yep you know it's it's really frustrating so this is the purest football you'll see is it's conference championship weekend and i can't wait enjoy the games we'll talk to you next week dan all right gene god bless dan zampano here on sports country radio and that is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. I appreciate Dan spending some time with us uh, last night. He wasn't able to be here live this morning, but uh, we'll have him on next Friday to break down the games this weekend, so enjoy them. We'll see you on Monday. We leave you this morning with some music from the Commitments. Here's a little Mustang Sally. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.